0: Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there.
1: For a while, I was listening to the experts and doing what every doctor said under the sun until I started to realize, well, that doesn't work for me. For my kid, that doesn't work. What other options are there? So... Go with your gut and give yourself permission to advocate for your
0: child. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 310. Today, we're talking about raising kids with ADHD, autism, and more with Julie Falcone. of kids. Welcome back to the Mindful Mama podcast, my friends. So glad you are here. I'm excited to dive in today and a, a special welcome to you if you're new. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We've got 310 episodes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's crazy that you can listen to and they you can find all of them at mindfulmamamentor.com if you can't get past number the last 100 in the podcast player that you're listening to this, but welcome. I hope you're doing well. We are gonna talk about raising a neurodiverse child today and how it really comes with a unique set of challenges. So I'm going to talk to Julie Falcone. She's the author of Dear Loved Ones, an honest guide to helping the special needs family you love and a mother of four. And she's gonna give an insider's view into the family life of a family with not one, But three, neurodiverse children. So we're going to talk about raising kids with invisible special needs and how to find the support you need. So I want you to listen for some important takeaways, how one diagnosis can mean very different things for different children, how getting support for ourselves is so, so vital and allows us to provide support for our children, and that fair is not always equal. Mm -mm -mm. No, it is not. And as always, you should know that you can see clips from this episode as well as short teaching sessions from me over at our YouTube channel. Make sure you are subscribed there so we can grow the channel and get this information out to more parents. And another way to share and talk about the episode is to be part of the Mindful Mama Facebook group, the tribe. So head over to mindfulmamamentor.com and join us there. So yeah, let's talk about what's going on in this. Episode. I guess I should tell you that at the end of it, but that's okay. I'm just telling it to you here. And that's it. Let's dive in, shall we? Join me at the table as I talk to Julie Falcone. This episode, I'm dedicating to the, the those of you who have special needs kids in your families. And I'm just, I don't usually do this, but I want to say right away, like, dear loved ones, like an honest guide to helping the special needs family you love. Like, this is a great book to get for your. Everyone else in your family. <laughs> so I'm just giving you a plug straight up, right away, which I I think because uh, I think it's really helpful. So you wrote this great book. It didn't come out of nowhere. <laughs>
1: no, no, it didn't. It is, unfortunately, it is nonfiction. <laughs>
0: so um, tell us a little bit. Tell us, tell us your story about how you, you know you say you know you have four children diagnosed with autism. ADHD, anxiety, sensory processing disorder, depression, developmental delay, and oppositional defiant disorder. So, that's a lot of stuff, Julie. Oh my I gosh. Oh.
1: Know. I know. And I
0: didn't know any of those
1: words before um even before even after we had kids I didn't know a lot of those words. <laughs> so I learned <laughs> I learned a lot. I feel like um I can now I know I know different um letters up the wazoo, ADHD, ODD, you name it. Um, So yeah, it's kind of crazy how they all kind of snuck up on us. Each diagnosis came at a different time for a different kid. So until you put it all together like that, it's like, whoa. (laughs) Otherwise it was just, we were working one crisis to the next, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So yes, I have four kids, Um, three. So I have, I have three boys and a girl. So I have a 15 year old boy. I have a 13 year old boy. Then I have, uh, how old is she now? 12-year-old girl and then a nine-year-old boy. Um, So actually the three boys have the diagnoses. The only one who doesn't have any um, neurological issues is my daughter and my husband. Well, he's a question mark, let's be clear. (laughs) (laughs) If I could diagnose him, I would. But in the meantime, (laughs) it's really my daughter, which is extremely, it's such an interesting dynamic because now I'm not only raising you know, three boys with a lot of different issues, but I've also got this great, great typical child, neurotypical child that I can kind of like see, oh, this is what a neurotypical child would choose. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is what, um, so it's a really interesting house. I'll tell you that much. We've got a lot going on in a, in a small little, in a small little space, <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and not far from me as we've asserted. Right. (laughs) Um, so what, what was the first thing you discovered with your oldest child? So it's interesting
1: how it happened. It wasn't my oldest that was diagnosed first. Mm. It's odd how they all had different timings, but, um, my oldest was diagnosed in fourth grade. Well, it came to be in fourth in his fourth grade the teacher started to realize he's not really focusing the way he should be, but he was so, he managed it. He secretly managed it. And they say that around fourth grade is when you start to learn new things. And that's when you can't fake it anymore. Mm -hmm. Like that's when you can't just look over and say, what page are we on type of thing. Mm -hmm. And so in fourth grade, the teachers start to see things a little bit more clearly. So in fourth grade, we kind of got that, but okay, no biggie. You know, he's a little... He's a little daydreamy. Okay. Um, and then middle school started in fifth grade and that's when he started to have some anger and depression. Mm -hmm. Um, and what does depression look like in a, you know, a fifth grader and a sixth grader for, for my son, it was, he refused to go to school. He would no longer just get in the car to go to school, like just get in the car, (laughs) you know, like it's time for school. Um, it became, more and more difficult to get him out the door his ideas were more like oh another day of school I'll do school for 12 years and then I'll go to work for the rest of my life like he was seeing the I mean it is depressing and it, (laughs) it is real life but not for a fourth or fifth grader um so so school refusal was the big one for us and so when he um started to get into trouble with with refusing to go, or when he got to school, he would try to leave, which, you know, the principal really doesn't appreciate when all the kids aren't where they're supposed to be. So, um, yeah, so that was when we really had to, it wasn't, it wasn't even an option to kind of say, oh, maybe something's going on. Nope. You know, we were in that principal's office and it was clear, you know, this is serious. And then as things even started to progress from there, he was he was very verbal, thank God, and very open to say, you know, I don't feel like being here anymore. Um, you know, and he started with say, say threatening things that scared the crap out of my husband and I. Um, so that made it pretty easy for us to say, okay, this is serious. We need to get help. Um
0: well, what kind of things would he say that scared you? Can I ask? Cause absolutely. I'm, cause I know that there's a listener saying, well, what does that mean? What are threatening things? What is, yeah, absolutely. So for my oldest,
1: it was life just isn't worth it. If this is what it's going to be, then I don't want to be here.
2: Mm-hmm. Or he
1: would say, you know, outright, he would say, I should just kill myself. Mm-hmm. And you know, kids will say that. And I know that it is never, you know, something that you want to ignore, but you know, your kid, this was something I knew, we knew that he was troubled enough. Um, It got to the point where like, I was afraid. I didn't want him in my house in a sense, because I had to keep an eye, constant eye on him. Like if, what if he was in the, if he was in his bedroom playing Legos, is he in his bedroom playing Legos? You know, like I would have to kind of open the door a little bit and just check in. And the pressure was so great. Um, that we couldn't live like that. It was just too scary. So we got help immediately for him. And that really looked like well, there were a couple of trips to the ER, which didn't really do much, to be honest. But, um, but with that, we finally got him on medication and some real diagnoses. Mm-hmm. Um, the depression came immediately. But then after, you know, we started going to therapy. I kind of believe if you're on medication, therapy should be, they should kind of go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. So we made him go to therapy. Um, and with that we started to learn more and more depression, anxiety, adhd, it all kind of just leveled up, and it made a lot of things more clear for us for sure. Um, and in- interestingly enough, as he was going through that, my my second son did the exact same thing. I mean, like. In fourth grade, he started to refuse to go to school. And it was crazy because we're like, What? No, not you. Not you. You're not that, you know. Oh, um man. It was it was probably yeah, too. <laughs> yes, it was like yeah, we're okay. I mean, he had his own issues. We knew my my second son, God love him. Um, he he went from my cute cuddly to At a very young age, I want to say like two or three, we thought they were the terrible twos and then the tough threes, but they just kept happening. Um, And he was a really volatile an angry little boy for someone who, you know, at three shouldn't really have that much to be angry about. Um, We would walk on eggshells around our three-year-old and and then even four or fives. I mean, he was, he was tough and he was tough in a way that we were like, oh my God, like, you go talk to him. Oh, he he needs something. You go, no, you go, you know, (laughs) um, because he was really hard. Um, and then as, as he got older, his, um, symptoms took a different turn. They took an, a violent turn. So where my oldest went inward in a sense, and was thinking about hurting himself. My second son was going outward and he was hurting others. Um, mostly me mom. And Mm we, we learned from that, that I'm going to love him no matter what. Mm -hmm. So let me take it on a mom kind of thing. Um, so yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) I need this. Um, so he was, he became violent, um, and aggressive and like, I would have never called it verbal abuse at the time, because this is my child. This is my son now, but I would say he was verbally abusive and probably, and physically abusive. Um, but guess what, when you're six and seven and eight, I can handle that. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm still so much bigger than you are. Um, he's now 13. Mm -hmm. And when he was 11, he got, he gained a lot of weight from one of the medications and it was not as easy. Um, so we knew we had our work cut out for us with that. And then, so with his anger, we were taking him to therapy very early on Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: nothing was working. And we brought him to a new therapist, a man. We thought this will work. It's a male. This is going to help. And he wouldn't, um, we were driving to the therapist and my second son was flipping out. I don't want to go. And you're an idiot. And you're stupid and throwing like booster seats while I'm driving booster seats at me. And somehow I was also videoing this because I wanted the doctor to see, I needed somebody else to witness this because if my friend down the street came over, that's not what she was seeing. You know, this was between he and I. So I brought the video to the therapist. My son wouldn't get out of the car. I showed it to the therapist and he said, this boy needs to go to a neurologist immediately. He can't have, he can't be in therapy when he's not, he's not, he's not even there. He's, he's, we will not be able to have a conversation with him. So thanks to him, I said, Oh, Oh, okay. We went to a neurologist and he got immediately diagnosed with ADHD, which I thought, Oh no, no, no. He doesn't have a focus issue. He's an excellent student. There's no issues in school. Thank you, sir. But look again at this video type of thing. And that's where I learned that there's different types of ADHD and it's not just about focus but there's this impulsive side mm-hmm. that I didn't know about. I didn't know that ADHD could mean that you're angry and volatile and uncontrollable. That was never in my wheelhouse. So
0: yeah, I don't think a lot of people realize that.
1: No, you would I would have never um ever put that together. So when he got medicated, he was working to get medicated and through the medication he was then able to get the therapy because he was then able to at least acknowledge some of those feelings. Um, So that was my number two. Um, And then Lucy, who poor Lucy is the neurotypical little girl who um, has had to deal with a lot because her brothers got, get a lot of attention and they are moody. And there were times when it was, dangerous or scary in our house that, um, isn't fair for her. So, you know, it's like, um, there were times that I don't even remember Lucy growing up because I think I was in a survival mode mm. and she was number three in a small, you know, in a, in mm. a small window of time. Um, but now she's like the boss she's the best and she's like own you know she can handle anything um but she shouldn't have to so we try our best to give her her time um which Mm -hmm. isn't always easy you know the squeaky wheel um Mm -hmm. but and then we have our our last one I thought we were gonna have five kids but we got our fourth child and I think you get what you're supposed to get because (laughs) because after him I was just never ready for a fifth. And then that's kind of how that <laughs> happened.
0: Um, I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. New episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids, and you can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. That's Mysteries About True Histories.
1: When we had my youngest, he came out of the womb attached to me, I swear, like in a, um, which ended up, I'm I'm literally not exaggerating when we couldn't go on a date, my husband and I. We couldn't go anywhere without him because if I wasn't there, he was screaming. We even hired nurses as our babysitters mm-hmm. because, listen, he's going to cry. You just have to push on through, you know, and nobody could take it because it's a wow. crazy cry. Here, the doctor ended up naming it. It was an attachment disorder, whereas he literally thought I was a part of his body and that he couldn't function like an arm or a leg without me. So when I would get him into a room, it would stop immediately. The crying would stop immediately, oh which God. was very flattering, but also <laughs> exhausting. Um, yeah. And because- so we just called him a mama's boy, you know, right? Like, oh, you cutie, love your mom. You know, you know, oh, you know him. He loves his mom. Um, And then little by little, we started to see things in him very early on. And thank- I think that's because of the older kids, but we we caught his um, his issues really early, which really helped out when it came to getting getting therapy and um, getting him the services that he needed. But his his symptoms were he was wild, he was out of control, he had the impulse, he had the anger. Um, he wasn't looking anyone in the eye. He wasn't very verbal to anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, to me and to our family, he was, but nobody else. And little by little, I said, oh, it's ADHD. Oh, don't worry. When he's older, we're going to, um, we'll medicate him. Like, this is what I'm thinking in my head. He's just mm-hmm. like the others. This is fine. Um, and he had a developmental delay, um, which OT was great with. He, occupational therapy. Oh, sorry. Yes. Occupational therapy. Um, he We put him in speech therapy because he was not having any conversational practical Um, speech. And then um, there was an incident with snow pants that changed everything for us. He he doesn't wear certain things. And I put him in snow pants once because we were going out in the snow for Thanksgiving. And he started screaming as if he were on fire, like legit fire. And I took them right off of him. And when I did, it stopped. So I told my husband, there's something up. We need to find out help. And that is kind of how it trickled down the, okay, we're going to go to occupational therapy. He might have a sensory processing issue. And um, sensory processing issue tends to go hand in hand with, let's say, anxiety, which tends to go hand in hand with ADHD, which tends to go hand hand with autism. So it kind of very easily, he racked up um, a a diagnosis sheet. Um, But the occupational therapist said that, Putting those pants on was making him feel like they were like, imagine creepy crawlies all over you or spiders on your legs.
0: Oh God, don't say that. Right? And I said,
1: <laughs> and I was like, excuse me, like, no way, nobody wants that. I, like she said, imagine if you had that. And I was like, imagine I would flip out, you know, forget it. So from then on, we became experts in allowing our children to know their own bodies. Right. And what, wear what they're going to wear to the point where, you know, we would have people saying, what kind of mother is letting her kid run out in the snow with Crocs and shorts on? Well, it's this mother, but I don't want to be, but I also know he doesn't feel cold the same way that we do. And he's only going to be out there for a minute before he comes in. And trust me, you don't want him in pants. We can't put him in pants. Um, he went to a Catholic school where you had to wear a uniform
3: mm.
1: that didn't go very well we, we, you know, we had to stop that pretty quickly. So with time we learned so many interesting things. I have to say it's a world I never even knew about. And now it's so fascinating. I will say, I think it's fascinating
0: now that everybody's okay. It's fascinating. Now that, say. now that you're on the other side of like the yes. incre- riding that incredible wave. Now, as you were going through this, were you asking yourself like, why us? What's going on? Where is this coming from? Like all those why questions that I don't know. I mean, they may or may not be helpful, I guess, but yeah.
1: I think it's only human. And I, um, with with ADHD, I didn't think too much about it. Oh, everybody has ADHD these days is what I've always heard. Mm -hmm. And when I was learning about the boys' ADHD, it became very clear that I had ADHD just never diagnosed or, you know, that's what usually
0: happens, right? Yes. I was like, (laughs) wait a minute.
1: And then I realized, wait, they're on medicine and it's working. I haven't been on medicine my entire life. You know, how did, um, and that's why I apparently write lists of lists of lists, right. To, you know, I've learned to manage. Um, but so ADHD was okay. It was the autism diagnosis that rocked my world. Um, Mm -hmm. I will say that, and I, and I hope this doesn't come off wrong, but when I was pregnant, I was scared of two things. Mm-hmm. I was scared of SIDS and autism. Mm-hmm. Um, SIDS because of course there's no control and there's no rhyme or reason. Mm-hmm. And autism because I read a book a million years ago and um, it told the story about how the mo- this mom, one day she had her son, he was four years old and lovely. And the next day he was nonverbal. And it was so scary to me to read the story that I thought I can't I that's something I can't handle either. Um, So I had had talked many talks with God and with, you know, um, what I can and cannot handle. Thank you very much. And so when we got the autism diagnosis, that hurt in a way that the other diagnosis didn't for me personally. Um, I went home and I. I went to actually a friend's house because they were away and said, and I said, can I use your empty house? And I went, home, I went to their house and I spent a few hours just bawling and, mm. and crying. I didn't want anyone else to see that. I didn't want my family to see that, but I had a lot to, to take in and a lot yeah. of whys. Exactly. Why me? I asked you not to give me this. Remember, you know, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I remember thinking I can't, I can do ADHD. Fine. Okay, fine. But, but I, I can't do anymore. I'm exhausted. I don't know anything about autism, you know, I'm just not strong enough is what I remember saying over and over again. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I remember just fearing that I wasn't going to be enough for him Mm -hmm. because I kind of think I put that in my head a long time ago. Um, And then I had to pick myself up because guess what? We had, you know, have dinner. So then I went home and, and that was kind of that. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I had to become, you know, a detective in autism and try to figure that piece out, which which takes a totally I was with a totally different group of people, a totally different environment, um, speaking different a different language in a sense. Um, and I and I and there were so many different levels, that spectrum is truly that a spectrum. So that was a really lonely time for me because I I couldn't find someone who had the exact same kid that I did, mm. because you can't. Um, but I needed answers for my kid. And, and Susie next to me and, you know, Joanne next to me have completely different issues. So, so there was a lot of why there was a lot of fear. Um, And I think, yeah, a lot of guilt, there was guilt there. And my husband was so good about like, what do you mean? You know, like, what are you talking about? This is nobody's fault type of thing. It took me a while. It took me a few months. I would say before I thought, okay, we're doing this. And and when in head first.
0: So I'm kind of hearing that there's like there's like any difficult thing, like you you you're there's that time needed to process, yeah. like to acknowledge the new reality, to grieve what you yes. don't have anymore, what you can't have anymore that you had mm-hmm. wanted, to kind of like give yourself. Space and permission to feel those feelings, and then get coming around ultimately to a place of acceptance of this is like okay, this is where we are.
1: Yes, and I think that it took a lot of therapy um, on my part as mm-hmm. well to be able to look to be able to look at my son and not see a diagnosis,
0: mm-hmm. and to see
1: well, this is just my son, period, and all these names you're talking about on these symptoms, that's just my son. So it actually. Took a lot to kind of figure out, like, none of that really means anything when it comes to parenting my, you know, the connection between me and my son. It helps. It's very helpful for services and for school and all of that. But but in our home, those are just behaviors. And Mm. that's just my baby, you know. So um, it's a very interesting process. And my husband had a completely different process, as, you know, every person probably does um, his process was more going inward and um, instead of maybe, whereas I jumped into the knowledge piece and went to the library every night and learned, tried to learn as much as I could, he just went inward and would, instead of learning, he would just get annoyed. Like, why are you doing that? And to the kids? He, or yes. To, mm-hmm. to to the kids. So there was a denial piece. My husband mm-hmm. is really good at that. Um, that's a part of his <laughs> that's a part of his survival, you know, mm-hmm. um, tactics. So for a while that was his. And so we kind of had to work to get on that same page to get mm-hmm. on the same page with that, which took years because yeah. again, it's two different people with two different backgrounds, with two different upbringings, the whole thing. Um, it's a very interesting test and challenge for, for a mari- for any couple, but, um, for a married, we, you know, we didn't have any big issues. This is the first kind of start of crisis after crisis after crisis and needing each other. But were we, you know, were we doing it right? Were we going to each other? Or was I just going inward and like, I call it taking to the bed where I would just like go to bed at 5 PM and say, I'm done for today. Thank you night. You know, um,
0: were you working full-time or no.
1: So Mm -hmm. after my first, even before we had decided that I wanted to stay home. So Mm. my dream, even when I was 13 was to be a stay-at-home mom, Mm. um, forever. So it was quite, I felt quite ungrateful when I finally had exactly what I wanted. I'm a stay-at-home mom. We're making this work and I've got the big family that I wanted more than anything in the world and now i'm tired i'm cranky i'm questioning everything i'm yelling you know this is not the family that i had in mind this is not the picture in my head so it took me a long time to understand that it's reality whether you know grateful or ungrateful it's this is reality and that's okay uh, the picture in your head when you're 13 is not real <laughs> moments are, are maybe yeah. moments moments are I should
3: say
0: well yeah yes <laughs> thoughts in general are definitely not real right uh, so uh, so I'm wondering like you know, the greater resource, greater challenges require greater resources, right? And you had, you were obviously like reaching out to resources in the medical community, therapy, and things like that. What are some of the essential resources, maybe some of the obvious ones, but maybe if there are some not so obvious resources that parents of kids with special needs should be utilizing to address this like greater challenge? So Chad
1: C-H-A-D-D, which is an ADHD organization, um, is huge. It's a national organization, very helpful. Um, Even on their website, I mean, there's everything there. So that was always a plus. And I would go to every big meeting they had um, because there'd be speakers. And I just wanted to, you know, learn as much as possible. At one point I took my mother to New Orleans because there was a that's where one of their meetings was. And I was like, let's go (laughs) anything (laughs) to take some stuff in. So, um, there's a lot of, (laughs) yes, exactly. And we'll exactly. And so good. We'll get to see some things when we're there. Um, the other part to me, the resource part is my, one of the first things I ended up doing was I emailed a woman in my community, a lovely woman. We're not best friends. We're friendly. We would do a wave but I know that her son had, has autism. He was in my, uh, my oldest son's class. So I knew that she was, she had gone through stuff. She knows things. And I emailed her out of the blue because I kind of think when you're desperate, you do whatever you need to do. And I just emailed this lovely lady and said, I'm in trouble here. This is what's happening. And I, can we sit down and talk? So I just put myself out there, which is not easy. Um, but, but everyone, (laughs) What we come to realize is that everyone in this community is so nice and just wants to help each other so much. Mm-hmm. So of course, um, this woman was like, "Absolutely, meet me at Panera tomorrow." Um, and I spewed, you know, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go first. What should I do? And she said, "Relax. You know, she was she was where I am now, probably where like mm-hmm. there's less crises and more just management. Relax, take a breath. You, you know, you will." It'll be okay, type of thing, which is, I think, what everybody needs is almost like that one buddy mentor,
0: Mm. somebody
1: that you can say, "Did this happen to you?"
0: And Um, she's a few steps ahead of you, right? And so you can say, "Oh, you can believe her when she says it'll be okay." (laughs) Exactly. It was like, "Wait a minute, you don't seem like
1: you're crying every day," and she would say, "Well, I did, you know, for the first six years, and now we're not there anymore." So it was really. People like that and those type of those type of people. And then I would notice, if I would notice um, a mom who had a child who was kind of running in the same circles, which may or may not seem like, you know, the ones where they're bouncing off the walls or getting into trouble or whatever it might be, I would sometimes saddle up to them and make a maybe make a funny comment to start it off like, oh, there's my ADHD, right? (laughs) And then in the hopes that if they were comfortable, they would bring it up too. And then we could share swap stories. And I just feel like the more you talk about it, the more people will talk to you about it. And then it's like, Oh, that's happening in your house too. Like I thought it was just my house. I just thought I was getting beat up. I didn't know you were, you know, you were getting that
0: too. So you're normalizing it. You're building that community. Yes. You're, yes. you're that whole, like, I'm not alone thing that. Yes. Yeah.
1: Because you know what? That's the biggest feeling, that alone feeling. That's mm-hmm. the number one to me because when you go to the family parties or you go to your friends' barbecues with their with kids running around, it's obvious. It's usually very obvious that my kids different. Mm-hmm. It's usually very obvious that I'm not having any conversations with other adults because I'm the one walking around following my child so that I can step in before he makes a poor choice, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Even being in a room full of people, I was alone. So for the most Mm -hmm. part, I usually would take my kids and leave because I can sit at home and not talk to anybody. I don't need to be at a party to do that. Um, So the lonely piece is to me, one of the hardest. And I think that's why I, um, I try to be so open because nobody realizes that, you know, even though you're sitting there and your hair's done and you're smiling because it is, you know, it is life and you are, there's a lot of people who are on the inside thinking, I just, I can't believe that. Look at what their kid's doing. I mean, they're all, you know, they can go off and play by themselves. Like Mm. my kid, he's the one who's ruining somebody's furniture and jumping all over the couches type of thing. What kind of mother
0: am I? You know, So, would you be feeling like judgment from other parents?
1: Huge judgment. And part of that might be, might've been in my head, but, Mm -hmm. but part of it, not so much. (laughs) Part of it, people were very, um, very open about their questions or their advice. Mm. You know, I would never let my child hit me like that. Mm. I don't, I'm not letting him hit me. I picked him up and he whopped me, you know, like I would see eyes, I would see eyes bug out of their heads, or Mm. I would see eye rolls or Even even when someone's kind enough or so they think they're kind enough, oh, you know, Julie, when that teacher said what kind of mother sends their child um, to school in shorts and a T-shirt in this weather, don't worry, I stuck up for you. And I told them that your kid has issues. (laughs) Well, thanks. And now I know that this teacher was just talking about my parenting, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's there. It's just always going to be there, I think what I've learned now, years and years and years later, because what mm-hmm. used to happen is my friend would say something, not because she wants to be mean, because she thought it, you know, you, sometimes you think things and you say it. And yeah. um, what I learned after many, many years is they're not trying to hurt me. It's just happening. So before I would go home and cry, I would never confront, mm-hmm. God forbid, never, you know, I would never have the, the guts to say, hold up, Mm -hmm. um, instead I would just go home and cry and think this is horrible. You know, like they think I'm a horrible mom. They think Mm -hmm. I'm, and usually it was, they think I'm out of control. They think my kids are out of control. They think that I can't discipline. I'm not a disciplinarian. I
2: -hmm. have no
1: boundaries. I'm Mm -hmm. a pushover. Um, those were the, the, the types of feelings that I felt as a mother, that that's what people thought of me.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, she just has no control. Do you confront people now? Do you have a skillful way of, of, of checking that? I try. I'm still Mm. not
1: comfortable completely, but I can try to do it with a jokey way. Like, Mm. um, for instance, I'll say, you know, oh, he, you know, my kid would never do that. Well, your kid doesn't have ADHD, does Mm. he? And then I, it's a, just a giggle and a smile, Mm. um, I have a good friend who she'll say, someone will say, oh, my kid probably has ADHD too. Everybody has a little bit of ADHD in them. Um, and I just say, mm-hmm, even though I know better, even though I know that's not true. and But I, I was just once with a woman and she said, that's actually not true at all. And then, and she went into it and I thought, oh, you're so strong and courageous because I just say, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I tend to do things with a laugh and a smile. Because A, sometimes I just don't want to get into it. Yeah. But other times, other times some people aren't just gonna, they're not gonna hear it. You know, like some of my yeah. lovely family members, God love them. You could say it a hundred million times. It's yeah, it's not getting through. So okay, I'm just gonna stop having that conversation.
0: Now you, you know, for su- supporting your kids, right? Like, so you wanted support your kids in all the different ways, but you also have to like be a parent. Like there is that question of like holding boundaries. Um, and as far as the word discipline, I like to think of the word discipline as, um, like the same root as the root of the word disciple, like to teach. Right. So we are teaching our kids like, you know, you know wha- whacking a kid is not is not good right. discipline a child doesn't teach, learn anything right. they only learn to uh get their fight flight or freeze stress response go crazy and all of those things right so right. but you had to hold some boundaries do you have any did you have to approach your boundaries with your neuroatypical kids differently than you do with your daughter
1: fair is not always equal. Is that the phrase? Yeah. I think it's fair? And I never heard that before. Um, uh, can I
0: share something with you about that yes. phrase, which I think is so interesting about equality In at this, um, at this, um, Buddhist retreat that we've gone on, they talk about, may we be free from the superiority complex, the inferiority complex and the equality complex. And I think that is really ties it right to what you're saying, right? Cause fair e- equal is it, fair is not always equal. Yeah. That's so
1: interesting because yes, I never heard of that before. Why wouldn't I be treating all four exactly the same and give all four exactly, you know, um, equal timing. I mean, right now we have a nine-year-old who still wants to sleep in our bed at night and yes, I mean, we've had 13 year olds sleeping in our bed at some points. So you have
0: a bigger bed now
1: (laughs) we do, but it wouldn't matter. I mean, it doesn't matter. They find a space, um, but so then even my daughter, who's now 12, will say, well, I'd love to lay with you. Mm. But you don't let me lay with you. And you let him, mm. you know, good point, you know, good point, Luce. I don't know what to tell you. I'm sorry, honey. I'll lay with you tomorrow for 10 minutes. Blah, blah. um, So, yes, boundaries were something, to be honest, that I have a problem with in general as it is. So parenting children who need strong boundaries was not easy for me. Mm-hmm. Um In fact, with my youngest, we did this really interesting therapy called PCIT, parent-child interaction therapy. It literally, it's the neatest thing. There's a two-way mirror. I have an earpiece in my ear and the doctor is telling me what to say or how to say it to my child that I'm playing with. It is unbelievable. I never even heard of this before. And one of the doctors um, recommended it. Holy Hannah's, it was so interesting. Um, there was a script. It it was a script. It was all about connecting before correcting. And, um, we had to, now this sounds so easy, but I'm telling you it wasn't five minutes a day. (laughs) I know it's not five minutes a day. You needed to sit on the floor Mm -hmm. and this works for, I think it was like six and under maybe younger, but, um, you had to sit on the floor five minutes a day with your child you had to let them play. And you were simply describing what they were doing. It was, you weren't allowed to take over and say, "Oh, let's play this way. So it would say, you picked up the red car. You're moving the red car. Look at you stacking the cars. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and you're feeling like, oh my gosh. And then, yes. And so, and so you, then you would have the doctor in your ear saying, well, that was a, if, if you said like, oh, good job that mm-hmm. we don't say that. Don't say that. That's not, that's, you know, that's not helpful. Mm-hmm. That's not good or bad. It just is, you know, um, but what it taught me. So after many, many weeks and months of five minutes, mm-hmm. then they give you the next piece of the therapy, which is the Script on. Now he's going. Now he does something wrong.
2: Mm.
1: It's all about, and it's been so many years now. But it was about the way you you spoke, your tone mm-hmm. of voice, mm-hmm. and in the minute you talk spoke like that with the certain words, whatever they started with, it was as if, okay, okay, mom, like oh, mm. you mean business. Mm. But I guess I've connected with you for so long that you trust me now it worked it really worked which um was unbelievable it was like so amazing and that's, it's so neat it really that's is that's so neat.
0: interesting because that whole what you're describing you know is describing what your child is doing and that's almost like auditory external mindfulness you know you picked up the thing you you know and, and actually this is what in mindful parenting uh, I, we talk about a lot is describing the scene of what's happening when it's a difficult scene. This is on the floor. This is here. You're upset. You're upset. Th- I'm seeing this, this, and this, right? This, there's so this, like, kind of the power of just. I'm kind of hearing maybe like the power of like this, just acknowledging and describing and you're seeing what he's seeing and you're acknowledging that you're there fully present with him and seeing and what he's seeing, I guess.
1: That's a great, that's a great insight. And I will say, I think that's why it had to be only five minutes
0: because any more than
1: that. And we would have checked our phone, right? We would have checked our phone or we would have been thinking about what's for dinner. So for five minutes, it was just his. Yeah. Um, that was really cool. That was a really helpful therapy. You know, how some, some work mm-hmm. and some don't, that one really was good for us. And it was good for me because of my boundary issue. So I could, I could get behind, I could stand behind the do's and don'ts because they were, were, you know, fair and respectful. Um, mm-hmm. And that's important. That was important.
0: It sounds like you also learn to say yes to maybe a lot more than you expected to when you were 13, right? Like, you, it sounds like, you know, when, what we talk about in mindful parenting again is like this idea of like, we're creating boundaries around our needs, you know, like when your behavior impinges my needs, I have to create a boundary. But if when your behavior, when I see you in the snow with no pants on, and I can't figure out what the effect is on me. It means like it's not impinging on my needs at all. And it, what it sounds like that you kind of can't. You you had to come to that on your own. So
1: I'm glad it's called mindfulness because you know what I've been calling it. I've been saying, yeah, I just keep the bar really low. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, if you expect, so you know, and I'm so much. I, I like mindfulness better. But yes, I say yes to. I want to say almost everything in a sense, if you're not going to get hurt and this is something that we can do for you. Um, mm-hmm. and it's, you know, then why not? If you're behaving like this, exactly. If you're behaving like this and it's not hurting anybody, I think you're, you might be a little cuckoo cause I would never do that, <laughs> but you're happy. So, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, so yeah. So I feel like, and my husband, God love him is on the completely different end because we were bro- we were raised a little bit differently. Um, mm-hmm. So he has very strong discipline, very strong, this is a yes and this is no. And it's because I said so. And you will respect me because I'm your parent, which I definitely want to be respected. I, you know, I deserve yeah, yeah, that yeah. and I want that. Um, but we go about it two totally different ways and it's well, extremely interesting. It
0: <laughs> must Martha's. be interesting because that doesn't often work really that whole like, because then you have to use power to, you know, to, to back up, you know, because I said so, and then there has to be an or else. And then that becomes this like arms race of what punishment can I inflict upon you? And then your child resents that parent because they're just inflicting a punishment that feels arbitrary rather than these are my needs. These are your needs. How can we resolve this problem?
1: Yes. And I think what's interesting is, and I have to say therapy wise, my husband and I have been to ther- um, been going to therapy for years um, once the kids got their diagnosis, which has been wonderful. Um, but I continued on and I have to say, I think like me and therapy have become best friends. So because of that, I can kind of look from outside and see how he's handling a situation versus how I handle a situation. And especially with my my second child, who has this defiance piece in him, controlling is the opposite of what will work for him, you know, so they have butthead since the get go, and I used to go through periods where I would stop and say whoa whoa whoa, I think you're doing it wrong, you know parent. That doesn't, that doesn't go well.
0: Yeah, no, that doesn't go well.
1: (laughs) And then I've done the, um, well, you know what? That's their relationship. Mm -hmm. This is the relationship they're going to have as father and son. And that stinks, but that's not on me. Um, But usually I'm in between. (laughs) Usually I'm in the in-between mark. But I think that's probably one of the biggest difficulties we have as a couple is that we have become so different well actually mm. i've become so different he mm. has he is wonderfully the same the man i married is the man he is the ma- the woman he married is no longer here i am a completely different person and i think that stinks in a lot of ways for him mm-hmm. um i'm happier for sure but that doesn't mean he would choose this version of me back then it's really um we always used to joke, like, would you have a second date? Would we have a second date now? We're so different. I am, Mm. I mean, what he loved about me most was that I was competitive and athletic. Those are two words that do not, (laughs) do not (laughs) describe me at all now because nothing is worth the competition. You know, nothing is worth (laughs) my mental energy and athletically, eh, you know, I just don't have that
0: same drive. Interesting. So would you, thinking about the relationship, would you go back and change your parenting to be more like your husband? If you, you know what I mean? Like, like, cause this is a question I get all the time is like, you know, I want to maybe transform the way I'm parenting the, the old school ways they don't work. I have this combative relationship with my child, whether they have special needs or not. And, but my husband may not be on board or my partner uh, may not be on board. And my thought is like, well, I don't, for me, it it seems like that's no reason not to have a good relationship with your child. You know, like, are you going to have a, I don't know. So I I may, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like, I'm, I'm just curious about that, that thought process for you. I think that when I think back
1: to who we were, um, before kids or before it really got difficult I think I was very um what's the word, a pleaser mm-hmm. and so kind of whatever whatever you say goes whatever you want to do I want to do um and then I think once the kids came it became this is my family all of a sudden I was able to stand up for myself and to say well, nope I'm not doing it this way that's not working for me You know, um, it's still difficult. And I think it will always be difficult. And the difference is now that I can accept it in a sense. We just had an issue with my oldest and I knew that when my husband heard what had happened, he was going to go through the roof and I was dreading it. I was dreading the way he was going to react because I didn't want to watch it. I didn't want to see it. I didn't want to hear what he was going to say because It's, you know, we've been married for 16 years. I know what he's gonna, how he's gonna react and it's gonna stink. And my oldest is gonna feel hurt. Um, And I kind of realized like, okay. So at the time I, when I was talking to my son, I said, listen, I'm angry. I just don't tend to yell. You know, your father, he's angry too. So, and and that's how he tends to do things. But I'm on, like, I'm with him. I'm supporting him because we're both angry. I don't, I don't know. He's necessarily like the way he does it, but I, -hmm. I so often I'm afraid like, I'm the one who doesn't look like I'm angry or disappointed or, you know? Mm. Um, so now I've started to say, it's not the same way I would do it, Mm -hmm. but our, but our feelings are the same. Mm. Mm -hmm. So it's taken me a long time to realize, oh, everyone's not growing at the same time. My husband and I are not growing at the same time. And for a few years, that was really difficult. Um, and I don't know what changed, if anything changed, or if I just got used to it. Uh, but I learned that you can't, you can only do you, which yeah. is a frustrating. <laughs> it's it's yeah. annoying. Um, but it's a lot better for me personally, to be able to live my life as, and be a parent. I can be as whatever parent I want. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's not,
0: it's not always a great time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, as we, as we wrap up, I just want to ask you one final question that is like, how can, you know, for parents who have kids who are huge challenges, neuroatypical kids, they may not, they may be in the process of like wondering if their kid, you know, have, will have any of these diagnoses that you described and they're feeling alone, they're feeling hopeless, they're feeling scared. How, What would you say to those parents?
1: First thing I think I would say, first thing I would want to do is hug them because that's what we need first. And usually when you give someone a real genuine hug, you can't help but cry and feel it and have a chance to breathe, right? Mm -hmm. So, and then I would want to say a few things. The first thing I would want to say is it will not always be like this. And a therapist said that to me once as I was crying about whatever we were in at the moment. And she repeated it over and over again. And she kept saying, it's not always going to be like this. It's not always going to be like this. And she said it until I finally stopped crying. And it's, and guess what? It's true. It may, it's never going to be rainbows and roses, but it's never going to be like this again. You will get Mm -hmm. through this. There'll probably be something else. But you can get through this. There's, you know, it's not always going to be like this. Um, that's big for me. The other thing is for the parents who are thinking or questioning, you have to go with your gut. That mom instinct is real. Um, and I think that's what hit me with the snow pants. That's when I realized that you know your own kid better than anybody. Um, even though the, the pediatrician said, oh, it's just a sensory thing, he'll get over it that wasn't acceptable to me. And that's when later we found out everything about him. So you know, your kid. And for a while I was listening to the experts and doing what every doctor said under the sun until I started to realize, well, that doesn't work for me for my kid. That doesn't work. What, what other options are there? So go with your gut and give yourself permission to advocate for your child. I mean, if you have to go on mama bear, you go on mama bear. So I would, and I would then say, you're going to have to reach out. You're going to have to reach out to the community, um, whether it be one person that you may know, or whether it be you go to a meeting with, you know, one of the big organizations. It's the only way that you're not going to feel so alone, because nobody can get it if they're not living in it as much as you may want to. So, there are people out there who totally get you. I promise. And when you find them, you breathe, you do really breathe. So I think that's what my main ones would be.
0: Thank you. Thank you. That's beautiful. Um, Julie, Julie's (laughs) book is Dear Loved Ones, An Honest Guide to Helping the Special Needs Family You Love. And I love how it's, you know, it, it, yeah, it's, it's great. You guys should get it. Um, Where can people find out more about you and what you're doing? So on um, my
1: website, if I'm right, it's um falcone.com. Um the book is on Amazon and everywhere you get books, I think. And um yeah, and that's where you see me. I'm on, I think I'm on Facebook too. Yes, Julie Falcone, Facebook. I'm, <laughs> I told you I'm I'm not great with technology, but I'm on there. <laughs> um so yeah. The book is a really—it's a labor of love that talks about serious stuff, but with with a lot of humor. Because well, how else would we get through anything,
0: <laughs> right? Thank goodness. Um, yeah, Julie, thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure to talk to you. I really appreciate you sharing your story and your voice. I know that because you shared your story, there's someone out there who doesn't feel so alone, and that's really huge. Um, so, thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thanks for having me. This was great. I loved it. Thank you.
0: I hope this has been a helpful episode. If you have got yourself some neurodiverse kids, you know, it's amazing how, how diverse all our kids are. And, and when you're talking about invisible special needs, oh my goodness, right? We need support. And I love how Julie. Emphasize that we need that support. So, so, so vital. If you want to continue this conversation or if you have some pieces that you uh, want to share with some of your loved ones to kind of share with them, we have small clips from this episode as well as short teaching sessions for me over at the Mindful Mama Mentor YouTube channel. Go on YouTube, search for Mindful Mama Mentor and make sure you subscribe so we can grow the channel, get this information out to more parents. But yeah, this is that sharing those little clips are a great way to share like pieces of this episode. If you have a grandparent or an auntie or a parent who you want to start the conversation with, but you don't think they're ready to listen to the whole podcast, maybe they they want to watch a YouTube piece of it. So go over there and look for those. Those are a great thing to share. And I'd love to hear if it's helped. Has this episode helped you? I hope it has. I hope you're getting some takeaways that are going to help you be more grounded, more peaceful, more accepting of yourself, more accepting of your child. And I hope that all nourishes your good seeds this week. And thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I'm so glad you are here. Pay attention to your podcast player. Make sure you're subscribed there because on Friday, I'm going to be talking about communication, five things not to say. So check that out. That'll be a shorter episode. Check that on on Friday. I wish you a great week, my friend. Thank you. Thank you for spending your time with me here. Thank you for connecting with me here. and I hope that this has nourished your, watered your good seeds as it watered mine. So wishing you the best. Talk to you soon. Namaste